This is AV Week, Episode 6, recorded September 9th, 2011. How may I service you? Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly roundup of AV news and commentary. I'm your host, Tim Albright. With us this week, we have Dawn Mead. She's known as AV Dawn. She's a blogger, consultant, and is also part of the Rave Pub's blog, blog squad. Let's see if I can't start this day out right. How are you doing, Dawn? Very good. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, also with us is George Tucker. He's also a blogger, but he's also the engineering coordinator for World Stage. Hello, George. George? Yeah, I don't know what that is. I don't either. A little intro music for me. Thanks. Yeah. Hello, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that probably was Matt Scott, if I had to guess. It was. Or his Yeah, Matt hair. Scott just turned down a demo. And got <laughs> a, a bad look from the rep. Real, real quickly, Matt is is uh, is at Cedia, uh, which is in Indianapolis this year. Uh, he's going to give us a quick little rundown, and then hopefully go go take care of of that demo, so he doesn't get another bad look from the from the rep. Oh goodness! Yeah, it's been a it's been a great show, guys. Um, sorry, you're all missing it. Uh, it's back in Indy this year and going well. Um, a couple of really cool things that we've seen this year so far is. Uh, obviously, the elite screens are back and are looking pretty good. Not the same as their old stuff, but you know, all still still real nice. Um, I, I'd have to say the show is a little bit smaller than it was last year. I don't know if there's any stats on that, and the vibe seems to be a little bit more mellow than it you know has been in years years past. But all all things considering, it's looking real good. Do you think that's because no. of, of the economy, Matt, or just uh, just people who haven't haven't shown up, or you haven't seen as many people? You know, the main thing that I've kind of gathered from it, and in, in talking to you know some of the reps and some of the suppliers and some of the other uh, AV people around, is that what we're kind of noticing is yeah, some of it's economy, some of it's you know just people not traveling as much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of it is coming down to what we're kind of attributing to getting rid of a lot of the, the chat, a lot of the, you know, just really people that were coming, bringing their entire crew, you know, for three days to an event. They're bringing just themselves, just the decision makers. And we're kind of, you know, getting rid of, you know, I don't want to get rid of, but, you know, we're not seeing as many of the just basic guys who would show up one year for kicks and giggles because they decided they were going to get into residential AV. So that's kind of been the, the general consensus is we're kind of down to a more um, consistent and standard group of, you know, people who are just more serious about this industry and what we're doing. Okay. What's uh, what's one or two things that, that you've seen that's kind of knocked your socks off? One of the coolest, well, actually, the coolest thing I've seen so far um, actually comes from Lutron, and it is their new cellular shades that are battery-operated and completely wireless. Hmm. Not only are they battery-operated and completely wireless, they're coming in at $299 and $499, hmm. which is for an, you know, a motorized 
shade that integrates with their complete, you know, raw kit, um, homeworks kit, etc. is absolutely ridiculous. Um, it is kind of a complete game changer as far as, you know, definitely shades, but really automation because shades have always been that thing that are super cool and super insanely hard to sell because they're so bloody expensive. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one of the biggest things. The other super cool thing I saw, which kind of touches back on uh, the debate last week between AMX and Crestron, was the clear control stuff. The whole home uh, automation piece from them had a big boot demo this morning on it, and it looks ridiculously safe. Hmm. It's all um, cloud-based. It's really that whole um, progression that we're, we keep expecting to see to cloud-based more you know, almost, I don't want to say open source, but that open source feel of, you know, just boom, 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 change three things, upload it, and you're good. And wow. everything changes, opposed to, you know, the AMX or Crestron styles of, you know, let's program for 14 hours because the customer decided the button was too big <laughs> or too small, depending on the size of your fingers. Yes. That's, those have been the two super, super cool things. Trustron does have a bunch of really cool new stuff coming out. Their new little touch panel, um, the little three-inch, is gorgeous. Um, you know, it, it's been a good show. Nothing's been uh, – or there isn't a huge amount of absolutely break, uh, you know, breaking barrier technology stuff that's come that at least I've seen yet. Um, but there seems to be a lot of really good, you know, products that are coming out and building and getting better, which is like – what we all love to see. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to take any more time. Um, you'll you'll be with us next week for for our CDO wrap up. So uh, so Sounds go like enjoy your show and, and and your demo. All right, gentlemen. I will. I'll uh, go try and calm this rep down. Right. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Bye, Matt. All right, guys. See you. Thanks for having me on. Bye. All right. That is Matt Scott, or or Matt Scott's here from Omega Audio Video, uh, out of London, Ontario. Moving on. Uh, Savant, this is, comes from our friends over at Gary K, who I swear is going to start charging me for these stories. Um, <laughs> Savant debuts Apple, that and I keep having you two on. Um, Savant debuts Apple-based telephony uh, control system. Um, Savant is, uh, according to them, according to the, the guys at Rave, they're taking aim at Crestron and AMX with this new phone system. Uh, it runs on, uh, it's an Apple-based uh, control system. Here's a question to let's start with you, Don. Is is Savant going after Crestron and AMX, or are they just saying, you know what? Here's we have a, a partnership with Apple. We have this really cool phone. Let's just start putting it in places and you know move from Resi into partnerships that we already have in place. Um, it's an interesting question. I, you know, I think they're never really going to overtake Crestron or AMX unless something major happens in the next few years. I mean, those two really have the market cornered. Um, every year, every few months, we have smaller companies or companies coming from other areas that have similar control products. Uh, you know, I, I was working with a group, you know, at Infocom this year that has a similar product. Um, and there are, you know, a handful of alternative control system products out there. Um, I mean, I don't think they're a serious threat at this point to Crestron or AMX in any way. I think that I'm sure they probably make a great product. I'm sure there are people that will put them in and use them. But 
you know, it, it's one of those also rands. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't mean to disparage them or their product because I'm not super familiar, but um, I think it'll take a lot of, of gaining ground before they become a serious threat to the big boys, so to speak. Um, you know, the, there'd have to be almost a sea change in how AV companies do their do their control systems before Savant or, you know, uh, Control 4, is it, or, um, you know, Pivot or any of those guys before yeah. any of them come up with, with a, a serious market share compared to Crushtron and AMX. For, for, yeah, for the commercial um, areas. George, right. is this something that, that you, you see as a threat to, to Crestron or, or our friends over at AMX? Not necessarily. I'm actually kind of mystified by the product, to tell you the truth. Um, it looks more commercial, but their strength is in residential. Mm-hmm. Um, it requires a PBX install, which I guess is not a big deal in a house, a house of the size they're looking at. But, you know, I don't know. It just it seems to me like maybe one of these in the house... But I wouldn't want more than one for like they 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 tout it as an intercom, yeah. as well. And I wouldn't see myself using more than one of these. What I would love to see is them to have a product that's like that that incorporates, say, I don't know, the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> iPhone does have the FaceTime. Why would I, you know, people are doing this, and the people in that market for the Savant stuff, they're probably going to use something connected to their FaceTime app rather than have this dedicated commercial-looking phone. So it's almost like a tethered it, it, iPad. Yeah, you know, well, they they put out something a, a couple of years ago. They showed as a, a mock-up or as a module the um, iTouch mm-hmm. that they use as a remote inside this big shell. If you're going to do that, then do it, you know, something similar where that becomes your sort of at-home intercom. It just it it doesn't make sense to me in anything other than a commercial environment. And even in that, what are they going to use it for? And it sort of still has that G-Wiz video phone factor of the Disney. You know what? Uh, what's the big Disney place? Um, Disney World. They, they, yeah, where they had <laughs> all the video tomorrow? phones. Yeah. Oh yeah, the World of Tomorrow. You know, we're still looking for that, and yeah, we have it with Skype and stuff. But do I really want that in my house in a phone like that? And again, I question Savant's really commercial value well, it's on, a, on that level. But is it, to that to that matter, yeah, you know, you can you can get Skype on it. You can get Skype on your computer and your laptop. You know what, you can get Skype on your on your iPad or your yeah. other, another another uh, tablet, and sit on your couch or, or sit on, your, on in in your chair and do it wirelessly. So why would you do it with a, with a tethered phone? I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I mean, again, knowing what the company is and what their main market is, everybody wants a piece of commercial because that's a growing thing. But I don't know. It just seems like a like, hey, we can do this. Okay. Let's see if anyone buys it, kind of thing. <laughs> not, not, hey, somebody wants this. Let's make it. Yeah, exactly. Like they say, j- just because you can doesn't mean you should. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, speaking of our Great. friends at AMX, and, and, and well, at least I personally beat up on them a little bit last week, so we'll, we'll take a swing at them again. Uh, they have released a digital television distribution system. It's, it's DTV over Twisted Pair. That's also you can do control uh, over the same uh, Twisted Pair. Uh, basically, it's it's kind of geared towards commercial. I can see where it can be used in the, in the resi uh, industry as well, but more for bars and distributed uh, digital TV signals. Uh, is this something where, um, you know, they're trying to eliminate almost all copper? In other words, instead of running, you know, coax cable where it's RG, you know, 
11 or RG, you know, uh, six all over the place. You're just running, you know, you know, category cable from your receiver on all the way through through the house. Is this a good idea, George, or should we stay with a more stable, you know, copper solution? Well, what I find interesting about this product is one that it really starts to tout the off-air HD. Yeah which is an interesting sort of, hey, we can do the rest, and there's supposed to be an entire ecosystem that goes with this at some point. Uh, I did a quick search for it, but I didn't see the complete line shown to me as an ecosystem, but it's intended to have that. Um, the real big part for me is the off-air. That's cool and interesting. I'm not clear as how many people actually use off-air. You know, the, was it ATCSC or whatever mm-hmm. it is in the other one? Uh, on a real basis, I guess in the Midwest or some of the places where cable or, or infrastructure for that is not really run. And well, it's not only that; it's it's, it's of... also the saturation of of cable and satellite in some markets right. is not there. Uh, in right. most, in in you know, in New York where you, where you are, in in the West Coast, cable and satellite saturation tops fifty percent almost in every market. And you talk about the Midwest, the flyover country, saturation for those are well below fifty percent, um, mm. surprisingly so. Yeah, which would make it an interesting product, and combined with the ecosystem that they intend, it sounds like it would be an, a viable way of doing things. Now, in major metropolitan areas, are you going to replace coax anytime soon? <laughs> no, it's no. everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you know, especially in New York City, you can see it hanging off the side of buildings being routed from one place to the other. Um, <laughs> so I, I think it's a great little product, but everybody's been putting out something like this, and you get into trouble with coax, with, with trying to replace coax, because you're going to have to use it at some point in the in in the chain or completely rewire. And they keep saying, you know, it's already there. The twisted pair Ethernet is there, but is it really for that usage? But, and that's my big question. Well, yeah, and, and and Don, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Is is this something you see? Maybe not taking over coax right now, you know, ripping everything out like we've been talking about. But as systems get upgraded and as as maybe renovations happen, you rip out the kit, the coax then and then put in category cable. Then this system makes sense, doesn't it? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, just over the past few years in the commercial install world, I've seen more and more products coming to market and more and more specs requesting, you know, twist the pair as opposed to coax for the install. And I think as building new buildings are being built and as old buildings are being completely renoed, we're going to see more and more of that going to twisted pair or even fiber, which still is, you know, kind of the big money out there um, thing, you know. But as things are getting upgraded building-wise, we're going to see a lot more of these and a lot less coax. You know, like they say, it's expensive, coax, you know, with all the copper in it. You hear every day about, you know, copper thieves stealing manhole mm-hmm. covers and light posts and ripping out, you know, commercial building panels to get at the cable to steal it and sell it as scrap. I mean, it's almost logical in that sense even to avoid using the copper, you know, make yourself a little more uh, vandal proof. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, I don't think people are going to just go out and tear out all their coax tomorrow and replace it all with this. But there is definitely a demand for it. It's definitely coming. A lot of people are requesting it here in the D.C. area, you know, with the federal government. Mm. We tend to get a lot of things ahead of the curve of other parts of the country. Um, The federal government always wants to try to have the newest and the greatest, and they're willing to spend for it. And I've seen a lot of specs over the past few years 
with Twisted Pair as opposed to Coax for the newer buildings and the new renovations. Well, you, you touched on something, and I, and I have just a general question to, to either of you. I remember back in the 70s, um, a neighbor of mine when I was a kid, you know, talking to my father, and, and he was a Bell Labs employee and talking to my dad and explaining to him uh, this was the infancy of fiber. You know, you're, you're able to send information down light, basically. It's, it's, it's glass, you know, and, and my dad is, is fascinated by this. He's a, he's a machinist. And here we are 30 years later, 40 years later. It's still here. It's still great. It still moves. There's one big problem with fiber, though. It's expensive. Right. As fast as it is and as great as it is, it's still expensive. And the barrier to entry here is, is so incredibly high. Will we ever see fiber get cheap? To where it will overtake even Category 5. I mean, there has to be, you know, you can get a box of, of Cat 5, Cat 6 cable for, you know, 1,000 feet for 150, 150 bucks, 200 bucks, depending on, on whether it's plenum or not. Will it ever get to that point? And, and if so, then is, <laughs> has, has our discussion just kind of gone out the window and now we're talking about a fiber solution? <laughs> um, I, you know, I honestly think if it doesn't get down price-wise and, and get more readily adopted, It'll only be because there'll be a replacement technology that's even better. Mm. Um, you know, you know, if you look at AV technology, in some ways we're cutting edge and things change every three to six months. But in other ways, we have a really long lead time on some things. Mm. You know, I was just writing something for Rave the other day talking about video teleconferencing, and VTC was invented at the world's fair, first shown at the world's fair in 1964. Wow. And it took a good it took a good thirty years until it started hitting boardrooms in an affordable way, and it took until the present until it's gotten wide adoption with Skype and with webcams and everything. Yeah. So if you look at that long of a lead time to get the technology both efficient and affordable, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to go from the seventies to, you know, ten, twenty years from now getting fiber everywhere. Unless of course it's leapfrogged by an even better technology. So I think it'll happen. I think for right now, Twisted Pair is where the technology is moving from coax to Twisted Pair, since that's the trend I've seen anyway. Um, but, you know, who knows? Uh, it's some, there's always a genius out there coming up with something weird in his lab. And, yeah. you know, if it's, if it's the right thing, it'll it'll hit like crazy. So. And, and you're right. There, there is. I mean, there, there, there's obviously there's a cost such, you know, consideration when it comes to going from, from copper to, to Twisted Pair. Um, but there's also a stability issue. I mean, with, with the exception of the federal government, who requires security, and that's something that that fiber gives you. You know, the rest of us that would just like to have stuff that works, we <laughs> we, we can live with with the twisted pair. So, right for, for how for how long is the question? I think we're really all asking. Here. Yeah, uh, fiber. I think eventually will become a de facto for certain applications that need you know high throughput, in which the twisted pairs will no longer you know, be able to really handle it at the rate that we want. And that'll probably start in, like you said, in commercial. But remember, a couple of years ago, they wired Manhattan with fiber, and a lot of it went unused for years. You know, they did this thing in anticipation of having another Silicon Alley that would be bigger than it really is. And we have bundles of fiber that were, up until recently, not being used. And they were, you know, 10 years old. Well, and and that's that's some of the nice thing about fiber is you can just put it there. And let yeah. it sit for ten years, and it, when, once you get to the point where you need it, then then you've already pulled it, and you've already dug up the the, the trench and, and laid it down, and, and you know put the soil back on top. So, 
you know, something I couldn't find out about this uh, this AMX coax thing though was um, they say twisted pair, and they mention in their 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 publication, you know, common Ethernet mm-hmm. runs, but most other companies, including H, you know, H, uh, was it HT Base T and all those other guys, mm-hmm. they say you know twisted pair cat category cable, which means that they need to do something and make it shielded or something else. So I'm I'm just curious what else they're doing on the other end to say they could just run it over. What they're letting you, you know, infer is that it's Cat five or Cat six. Yeah. And I'm not so sure that that's really the case. Well, it might be something similar to um, uh, Crestron's first generation, second generation DM cable. Where technically yeah. that was a twisted pair, but it wasn't category. Right. Matter of fact, it wasn't until this year that it was that that, that they say now that you can do use, use category. If I'm not mistaken, um, that was one I of the big things. Correct, yeah. That was one of the big things out of Infocom. So, uh, our friend Linda, the AV writer, and all of us butcher her name, so we'll just call her the AV writer. So, <laughs> uh, she wrote a really cool uh, blog post uh, about a week or so ago. About improving client service, and, and we'll just pass this around. It's it's five steps to happy customers, and if you'd like, we'll put a, a link on the on the original blog post. Um, the basic here, here's five basic uh, tips and, and tricks. To me, as as an end user, these all are common sense. However, a lot of times when you're in the trenches, and 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 we all know integrators, um, they these common sense things sometimes get lost. Uh, one is is don't wait for a status. Don't wait until they ask for a status update. You know, uh, another one is is over deliver without under promising. Uh, beat the deadline. Always beat the deadline. Um, hold your work to a higher standard than anyone else, including the client. You know, never say that that something is good enough, and and slap some paint over it and hope nobody nobody uh, um, res- you know notices it. And then be responsive, but you know have boundaries too because you have to have a weekend and you have to have. You, know, you don't want your clients showing up at at your doorstep at three o'clock in the morning because they can't, you know, unlock their door. So, <laughs> George, what are your your thoughts about Linda's five steps to happy customers? Well, as the old saying goes, common sense she ain't so common, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> um, you know, summed up, what she's really saying, Linda, Linda, is care passionately about what you do. Um, and I, and I concur with that. Um, you know, there's a fine line here she's, she's writing with being so passionate that you share everything and that you connect with your client and, or your end, um, your, your end clients, uh, to the point that you're the friends, but you know, you don't want to be too much information, but the friendly interest, the ability to connect with them on a level that's beyond just, Hey, you know, here are the ABCs, the one, two, three is the punch list. Um, you know, she said. You know, the the the, the first thing I thought of when um, <laughs> I read the uh, you know uh, was it under promise over deliver that kind of stuff. It was uh, the Douglas Adam quote, which is uh, he says he loves deadlines. He loves the <laughs> whooshing sound they make when they go past him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and, and that's that's a common thing. But it's an important one to remember that as funny as that is, Douglas Adam could say it. We can't. <laughs> that's true. Right. And our clients aren't going to be amused by that either. Um, you know, when you get caught in the fray, you need to sometimes, yeah, keep these, you know, five steps, these little sort of self-help uh, points to say, you know, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Um, you know, you have to believe in yourself and believe that that's right. Um, who is it today that I believe did this? Uh, was it Gina Sensorivo? Is that her name? I can't remember how to say her last name. She was on Rave and it just did a, a, a blog post. Uh, it's just little old me, which was sort of a rant on, you know, uh, 
am I actually pretending here, and w- will someone find me out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the classic, um, you know, false authority syndrome. Like, yeah, they believe me. I don't believe they believe me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> when are they going to find me out? And it's all just going to come tumbling down. I think um, we but all these feel five that points way. are really a way yeah. of yeah of course you know it's uh it's it's these five points though are these and again i'm one of these people who just i loathe self-help recommendations and these, these blurs but in actuality this means something and keep repeating them to yourself is really important believe in yourself care passionately about it and be the person who wants to make it best and better every time yeah. never be satisfied with what you did don this is something i'll ask your opinion about this all of us have customers all of us do whether you are, you know, the uh, end user technically, but you're you're the AV guy or the IT guy at a major corporation, you're going to have end users, the people who actually use the product, or you are a manufacturer. Can't all of us use these these tips and tricks? Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, I agree with this. I wish I had seen this blog the minute it came out because I would have been preaching this all over Twitter, Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn. I mean. It, as you said, it's just common sense, these five points that Linda wrote here. But they're five points that have been lost to generations. I mean, this is how business used to be. This is, a, with a few slimy exceptions here and there, this was like, you know, the whole pride in yourself, pride in your work, willing to go above and beyond and the extra mile, and just having a good work ethic. And, you know, over the generations, things got easier. I mean, I'm, I'm part of Gen X, and I have friends that are Gen Y, and, I, you know, I know, Internet, God bless it. I love it. Live it. But it makes things easy, and sometimes shortcuts are a lot simpler on a job site if you can just get it done or get out of there or get on with your life. But, you know, we need to take pride in our work the way, you know, my father's generation did. And, and yeah. I, you know, I had older parents. He was a World War II veteran. And every list, everything on this list were things that he lived every day. And, you know, when he got back from Japan in World War II, he went to work in a steel mill, and that's where he worked until he retired. I mean, Pittsburgh in the 40s, that's what you did. But even if you were just running a drill press day in and day out, they followed these five rules, you know. Things weren't good enough until they were good enough for him. And it had to be done by the deadline. And he had to deliver or over-deliver every, you know. And it's just common sense that, that I think a whole generation has lost or never were taught. And, and I, you know, to be honest, I think these should be tattooed on the behind of every person in our industry <laughs> so, so that we, you know, follow these. Because if we do, you know, it, would, it could only raise not just yourself and your company's profile. It could raise the entire industry that, we're, you know, we're about making our customers happy. So kudos to Linda. This is awesome. Yeah. See, even, even my dog agrees. <laughs> even, even the dog is, is in on it. So. Um, this is from Commercial Integrator. Daniel Newman says, why you're doomed without a service business model. This service contract thing is something that has been talked about incredibly over the last uh, couple years. I know Gary Case started talking about it a few years ago, and several other uh, writers and bloggers have talked about it. Uh, Daniel goes into a couple different, actually spells out, you know, two or three different types of, of service contract. One's a warranty, one's a prepaid service, one's on-site managed services and stuff like that. Don, we'll start with you on this. It, it is, first of all, is are you dead without a service contract mechanism, a, a type of business model that includes service contracting? And if you are, how do you start 
getting in, into that type of business? How do you convince your client that they need you? Um, in some regards, I think we really are doomed without a service business model because, you know, we're starting to see already in our industry the commoditization of our products the way the PC market had to deal with, you know, a few years back. Um, you can buy projectors now at, at Staples and and Office Depot and online, and they're, you know, cheaper than we can buy them at cost. Yeah. So if we can't make our money on the product, we have to make it somewhere. And, and it's difficult to shift to that service-minded attitude in billing and in, in doing quotes and things. But we have to start to realize, and this goes back to what we said about Gina's blog, you know, we have an expertise that Staples and Best Buy don't have regarding our technology. We have to learn how to respect our own expertise and then charge our clients appropriately for it. And, you know, whether that's in service contracts, whether that's in charging for our consulting that we would otherwise give for free and make our money on the selling of the products. You know, there's there's a lot of areas that are service and intelligence based that the AV industry usually lets go for free mm-hmm. or doesn't even think about. And we need to start thinking about that because, you know, one of the first things they teach us in, in business school, we're in a post-industrial society. We don't really make products. We are a service economy. And we have to realize that and start billing appropriately. Uh, you know, some of our customers actually, you know, I did a, a bid a couple years ago for a university that was for a product. And the manufacturer of the product actually bid against some of their end users and ended giving the university the product for free. Wow. They made not one cent on the product where they made their money and where they actually had the, the benefit was in the service. They did service, they charged for the install, and they you know obviously got some marketing out of it. But you know we need to think that we have to be able to afford to run our businesses that we could almost give away our product at cost and still make money. And using the service model, that's where that's how we do it. That is incredible, George. We are in a service com- economy. We don't make things anymore. That's that's almost. Um, you know, we, there are a few <laughs> few manufacturers left in, in the U.S. So, how does an integrator? How does you know, a, a someone who is dealing with the end user? How do they change their business model to make it a service company? Well, first of all, let me say, when I first read this, and I knew we were going to talk about it, I uh, to quote Molly Bloom from uh, James Joyce's Ulysses, yes and yes and yes again, <laughs> because this is something that you need to do. Um, it is not just a service economy. We are a service industry. Flat out, we are. A lot of guys want to just see it for the nuts, the bolts, the gear, and maybe some of the bit digits that are in the programming, but we're a service in- industry. We provide a solution to people's needs. Sometimes that need is immediate and life safety. Sometimes that need is just, I don't want to get up to change the channel or bring the TV on. But we're a service industry, so we need to be able to you know, see that focus of, guys, what we provide is, hey, you want to change something or you want to add a feature? That's what we do, and we're going to provide you with the information and methodology to keep us in mind. Um, it's incremental. Hey, called you up. You, your, your guys are purchasing a new Apple through us or a new something. You know, We can help you do this. We can help you do that. You just bought a, a, an audio server from us. You need to back those files up. We have a server back at the shop that we will upload once a week for X, X amount of dollars based on the size. 
And if should anything ever happen, you know you have your backup. We've done it for you. It takes a little bit more effort on the front end to get some of that, you know, automated uh, tasks to say every week do this and find an access. But you start with those very small incremental things. Um, you know, hey, can we make sure that your sensors are working every month? Or can we, you know, just do a network check every every other month or every week for you? Little things that you can start off with that don't stress your labor resources. You know, even though some of this you can say, hey, I've got a new guy. He's really smart, but he needs to learn about the business and learn about our clients. You're my service tech. You're dedicated, and some of your um, uh, salary is related to and tied to how well you can service our clients and get them to be happy. Because when they know that there's somebody they can call going, John, call me. I can't turn the light on. You know what? It's going to be really annoying, and you may have to drive 20 miles to go out and go, well, you just flipped the switch. Um, (laughs) But that kind of stuff works. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about, um, I forget the topic, but I told you the story about how I was getting paid like, you know, 25 bucks to change a light bulb in these condos. I still talk with a lot of those people, and they are business contacts because I developed a relationship with them, even at that young age, in that small little service uh, that I provided, they still wanted to be able to know what I'm doing and know when I can help them with certain things. One of them actually turned into a client that I, with the, my former employer, that I helped get him a resolution to a dealer issue, because wow. we knew each other. So those contacts and that spreading out of your your uh, ability to get new business relies upon a service contract. The same thing happens here in the in the uh, staging world. We also do uh, some installations. A lot of times, those installations want us to be the service contract provider because they know us. They know we know the equipment, and that a lot of times we're going to go. Don't worry about it. We have a replacement. We're going to fix this, and you'll be fine. You're never going to interrupt. Okay. Let me... On the commercial side, especially, that's important. Seamless activity. Yeah. Um, let me yeah, let, I... let me let me ask a question to either of you. So a lot of clients get it. They they get that they are not the most AV savvy person in the world. Let's say. Right. What about those companies who either for cost or for other reasons say, you know what, I'm just trying to get into this system. Uh, I, I don't have the money to do what you're asking. Or they see a service contract as almost like an extended warranty on a car. How do you convince them that they need you? Well, I, I know it, I know in my experience uh, – you know, the biggest way to convince them they need a service contract is when things go wrong and they need it to work and they mm-hmm. can't get it to work. Uh, you know, at my former company, we had a couple of different options for service. We had, you know, a recurring annual service contract that they could buy with, you know, billable payments over the quarters. We did like a quarterly plan where you could just buy it for this quarter if you know something big's going on. Yeah. And then we also had our, you know, a la carte menu, so to speak. Where if you just needed us to come out and do one or two service things, we could. You know, we would never say no to that. But, of course, you're charged significantly more and there isn't that maintenance as well. You know, it's just fix the product. And, you know, the first couple of times something happens on the weekend or Mm -hmm. after hours (laughs) or when the CEO and all of the board members are there for the meeting and there isn't someone on call – the next day, almost, we get the call. How much is that service contract? Can we make that happen? <laughs> Hallelujah, the, sister. Hallelujah. It, it, exactly. And, and, and on the other hand, the ones that did have service contracts knew that if they had the board members and the CEO there, they could just call us up and we would send a tech who would just sit there. And even if he just sat and played Sudoku all day, he was there on hand if anything happened. 
he could handle it yeah. and it would be seamless. And and so I think, you know, that's that's the biggest way to convince them is, you know, let them know there are options available. You don't have to buy the service contract. It's less expensive when you buy it now with the system. It might be more expensive later, but you can add it later. We can still come out and fix it if we don't add one. It'll cost you more. But, you know, that's the real reality of it. That's yeah. that's the same in any industry. Hmm. There is a fine line here, and there is a way of being able to be political, for lack of a better word, with your clients about, hey, you know I'm going to make it right for you. You know I'm going to make you happy. But right. remember, I have a bunch of guys who are all on projects. Do you want me to be able to tell you, because of the money you're spending with me, that I can get somebody back to you in 20 minutes or a day or two days? And there's that sort of you have to sort of leverage that angle of that guy will be there. I can guarantee it because you are paying me to guarantee that. I'm going to get you solved, but it may not happen for a little while because you know what? Everybody's across the coast or something because I don't. I'm not tied to anything. Yeah. Um, And that's you know that's sort of that's a commercial side or even for the residential guys, you need that that on staff person. But again, as the article points out, service stuff can also be your backing up of data. You're making sure that certain things are ready for a party that's going to happen on those days. That tech will come by on the Friday before the Sunday party and make sure that everything's going to work for you and that your playlists are up to date or that your speakers will work just the way they're supposed to and that you'll have no problems, right? Because this is very important to a lot of people because it's not just a party sometimes with our clientele. It's business and, yeah. and, and personal. So that, that, those leveraging of ideas can really be where you sell that. And it may take a few times to convince them, but the one time it doesn't happen, you can say, hey, I'm going to come and help you, but uh, let me just make sure before I had somebody who called me who <laughs> was on the contract, I'll be right to you. Yeah. There's right. ways of doing that without being antagonizing and or rude. But you yeah, or snarky and, and almost, almost you know, putting it in their face, but you, you're, you're just kind of matter of fact and saying, you know, this is what I can do. Had you had a contract, we would we would already had this. Right. You know, on a similar it. topic, if I may hijack this for a minute, Absolutely something that joy. I've something that I've always tried to advocate and Don and, and t- you can tell me if I'm completely wrong on this uh, is something called the face yeah there you go <laughs> not that you're not used to that um, it's something called a phase of work contract you go in especially with Resi and you say a lot of times I hear dealers t- you know when, when I was working on the Resi side say you gotta help me you gotta get this done you gotta send someone out I'm losing my, my profit well why are you losing your profit at the last bid well that's where all the, the percentage of the profit is well all of it well yeah all of it I'm like well, he's not paying you the last ten percent. That's your or twenty percent. That's your that's your profit. Why isn't it built into the contract through phase of work payments? And a lot of say, well, the clients won't deal with that. But I said it's the same thing as a service contract. How do you convince them that if you're doing this and we're signing off at every phase, and yes, it requires your interaction and a little bit more of your time with me, you're going to be guaranteed that what you get is what you expected, and you'll know every single way of the way. And to the dealer, to the installer, you're saying. If he really doesn't want to do something or gets really angry and starts to say, I'm not paying you, I'm losing 2%. Yeah. Not the 10, 20, you know, 35% that I was, sent to, I was counting on. And I've never, it's never really sunk into my head, why don't you do this? Yeah, we always did. So <laughs> there you go. Hallelujah again. Pro- pro- progress it. payments, that was, uh, you know, <laughs> built right in there. <laughs> Right, and but so tell, tell me though that part of that was though at phase two we're going to sit down say this is the payment and this is what we've completed here's what the next phase will will consist of we need to review with you the fo- this the following stuff we're going to do and the per, the client says yes 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 and oh no I don't want that green I want those to be orange and I want them to look like lollipops or whatever it is hmm. right. you guys talked about it right at that set that second beginning of the second phase or whatever phase came about yeah 
and don't just talk about it. Get their signature saying, "I want orange, yes. not green," because exactly that right, way. Then you at don't the have end, to look at them. Exactly at the end when they try to take your ten percent of profit with changes and things that they said, "Oh, we discussed that." You can just pull out the paperwork and say, right. "Actually, according to this on this date." This is what you ordered for a change order. I would be more than delighted to do that for you. And it's and it's not right, about but it's all upfront. Yeah, it's it's not right. about sticking it to the customer or anything like that. But it's oh. it it sounds like it a little bit, especially as, as as from coming from an end user standpoint. But it's about covering your butt and, and making sure that you're that you maintain profitability, while at the same time making sure that they understand what they're getting. Is right. that exactly? And, and these these are key lessons, you know, what we're discussing right now. These are key lessons in project management for AV. If I can just steal this for a plug for a moment, mm-hmm. um, I'm on the I'm on the Infocom membership committee. Um, Infocom has a lot of online courses and in person courses for AV professionals in any part of the business. And just this summer, I took their project management for AV course that isn't taught by anyone in the AV industry. It's taught by someone who is a professional project manager who has worked in the AV industry, but he's also worked in other industries. And this is something he covers throughout the entire course is do your work and due diligence at the beginning, do your phase meetings with the customer, get your signatures the whole way along the progress. That way, when you get to the end, all of this extra built in that would be profit isn't eaten away with changes and problems and issues. If you do the project management correctly at the beginning and throughout the process, you're guaranteed your profit. So again, take in for home classes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's a service industry, and part of that service is being upfront with the client and always interacting with the client at every stage, every phase, exactly. beyond just check, sir. You well, know? Yeah, and, it's, <laughs> and it's educating them. It really is. I mean, this is not, how do I put this? This is not buying a car. Uh, when you when you when you go through the process and say you know what I'm a homeowner or or I'm a business person, and I want to put an AV system into into my building, this is most something that most people and I, I would say most people and you guys can can disagree with me have never done before or if they have it's been on a, on a cursory basis. This is we're still I think we're, it feels like we're still a young industry in in the fact that we are not a household name. If you want to buy right. a car, you've bought a car since you were 16 years old. You know the right. process. It has four wheels, unless you're buying a motorcycle. It has you know two or four doors. It has an engine. You get the basic parts. When you start dealing and, and, and talking to people about an AV system in their home or in their business, you are educating these people from the ground up. You know, here's what a control system is. This is what it does. You know, and this is how much it generally costs. And and so you're educating them all along the way, and, and and you're you're building their expectation almost. Yes, they have an idea in their head of what they'd like the whole thing to be, and it, and whether that's you know Donald Trump's house or, or whoever's house that they that they have in their head, you're helping them build that expectation of to what to expect from a cost standpoint and what to expect from an end product standpoint. So you you're you're as intricately involved and as important as the architect is, at least in, in my opinion. So, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know it's all it's all honesty. There was an ad a couple of years ago. I think it was for some fruit juice that said that's refreshing, but it showed a um, a builder talking to the housewife, and he's saying, "So what we're going to do is we're going to tear all this out. We're going to take down the walls. We're going to cover it in plastic." And I'm going to disappear for about two or three weeks. You're not going to be able to reach me. You're not going to know what's going on. But when I come back and it's done, you're going to want to kiss me. And he pats his big belly right here. 
And you know, tagline is that's refreshing. But a lot of ways, that's what we're doing. Is saying, you know what? There's going to be some complications. We're going to make a hole in the wall. Yeah. You know, but here's what's going to happen. And, and I think sometimes we forget that. We focus in on, there's the value. We got it. It's going to be super cool. Gear, 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 gear. But it's the people. It's our clients. Our clients well, are people, too. Yes, they are. Exactly. And, and something <laughs> you just said struck me. You know, I've never in my 15 years in the industry sold gear. I, I've never sold gear. You can't sell gear. You know, I, I think it was a Black & Decker executive once said, I don't sell drills. I sell holes because my customer wow. needs holes. And, and it's the same like thing. That. Don't sell gear. Sell solutions. Mm-hmm. Sell mm-hmm. the experience of watching the Super Bowl in surround sound at your house as though you were in a sports bar. Or sell the experience of a teleconference with your other branches in Japan and Germany and Sweden as though you were in the same room. You sell the experience, and whatever gear's in there is whatever gear's in there. You know, you don't rip them off, but you're honest with them. But we're, we're not in the business of selling just gear because that's where the service model, you know, that, that's where we are today. You can't sell gear. No. Anybody can buy gear on the internet. It's the experience of having the gear work right, integrated right, installed right, trained right yep. for the customer's use. That's what we are selling, and that's where the service model really pays for us. And that's where the, that's where the value of, of our industry comes in because you're right. Anybody can, can buy anything on the Internet, you know, just putting it together. So. Right. All right, this is, uh, this is George's favorite story of the week. Uh, this comes from Gadget Lab and the guys over at Wired. High-end high audio gear is caviar for the ears. And caviar for the ears. And, and caviar is probably a good analogy because this stuff costs more than what I make in a year. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's cool. Don't yeah. get me wrong. George, go ahead and take us through this. It's, it's from the California Audio, audio Show. And, uh, right, well, this, yeah, take us through these these really cool things. Right. Well, I think the show is actually part of sort of a luxury car show as well, I think, out in California at some point. Um, but what they have are, like, the creme de la creme. These are hand-built audio devices mm-hmm. from amps to monoblocks to my favorite, which was the was it the trans-orto turntable. The thing's 84 pounds. <laughs> has its own, driv- uh, you know, motors for the, for the uh, swing arm. It's like not even, it's direct gear driven. The thing is just amazing. And I'm sure it sounds beautiful. Um, although I have to say, looking at the pictures online and the details of, and the Wired folks, they were a little bit of, as I like to say, the Gizmodo esque uh, in that they, you know, were like, oh, you know, the rich folks, you know, you could get that or yeah. you could starve for a year. But there is something to be said for this. Yes, you're right. None of us can afford this stuff. But the beauty of it, to know that there's somebody thinking of aesthetics, thinking of how does this device look, how does it feel to use it. And some time ago I wrote a blog post about uh, ranting about how the frictionless surfaces and interfaces of, say, touchscreens and even the iPods and all those things just wasn't satisfying. Yes, there's a feel and a movement to it, but... You know, there's that. If you go and touch something and it has a weighted knob, damn, does that feel good? Mm-hmm. And you want to play with this thing. You want to know and want to feel it because it's just so right. And it feels musical, for, for lack of a better phrase, but it does. It does. Um, you know, and, and, and these are also guys that are um, promoting the world of two channel. And again, I'll have to say again, hallelujah, because two channel doesn't get its just desserts especially in the av industry at least the install side i would i, I no, personally it think doesn't. It's, 
It's all about, you know, 7.1, 8.1, 9.1, whatever it is. Da, 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 da. Or mono. And those are great things. Or mono, yeah. But, you know, two-channel is a wonderful thing. And done right, and you sitting there listening to that music, ugh. I wish I could afford a room to be just two-channel. You know, they, they say in the article, this is for people who have a room just for listening to music. I know to some people that sounds just like, um, I don't know, the Will and Grace show of the, we have a rapping room. <laughs> it's of that same level of, oh, sure, you know. But it, there is something to be said for being able to just get your peace. It's a yoga room. That's your meditation area. Yeah. Whether your meditation is listening to thrash metal or Brahms, being able to do that on a two-channel and have a room that's dedicated to it and this magnificent set of equipment to do that with is just phenomenal. Uh, I really wish I could have been there and, and played with everything. Yeah, my, my, my personal piece, at least from, from this, this article, is the Wilson Audio Max 3. Uh, it's it's a classic speaker, but it's two for two reasons. First of all, it looks incredible, and secondly, it looks like a Dalek from Doctor Who. So I'm a big Doctor Who guy. So that was it. Don, did you did you find anything uh, any cool to to buy, uh, Mister Av Don? What? <laughs> no, nothing. We're buying him. Um, well, you know, I'm I'm more a video girl than audio, and I get the audio people like love their audio stuff. And videos the same way. They're just extremely high end things, and and just the normal person things and the lower end things. But when I was reading this article and looking at these gorgeous pictures, all I could think of was uh, somebody said, um, I think it was two years ago at Infocom. I went to a class on you know the future of AV, and I believe it was Mark Sexton from the Sexton Group uh, was saying, you know, we're, we're in a very schizo place right now in the AV industry because on the one hand everybody wants high def, high def, high def, perfect quality you know, $17,000 turntables and and speakers and so forth and on the other end we're watching crappy YouTube videos and low (laughs) bitrate MP3s and there's like no middle ground and that that was my first thought thinking this is that's fantastic for the people with the money and and the need to have that super high end but the rest of us are just going to keep streaming you know pandora and listening to whatever happens to come on the pipe you know so it, it, it's more indicative i think of, of where we are as, as a nation and as as an industry that that there's this big disconnect between the super high end which i agree with you george this stuff is gorgeous i'm looking at these pictures like you know the the shiny chrome and steel and and just you know there, there's an envy factor but I don't know that I'd need to pay that much to hear that little of a difference, you know, with my 30-year-old ears that are starting to lose their quality, you know. I'll tell you, I, I, don't know if I, I don't know if the coin, coin's ever been phrased, but I, I, every time I look at this stuff, I think I call it autophilia. It's just <laughs> – it's autophilia. It's like, yeah. you know, oh, there's going to well, be a restraining you, order against me. Yeah. Now, now that you've said that, there's 15 internet pages dedicated to it. Yes. Way to go. <laughs> Well, and that, that does bring up an interesting point, Don, is that, and, and this stuff aside, and it is really cool. I'm not going to spend 16 grand up for a pair of speakers and play uh, an MP3 I download from, from, uh, from iTunes on this. So, you know, I, at least I, I wouldn't personally. I'd try right, to find the, right. the, the piece of wax that I could play for it, so... Alrighty. Well, do we have anything hey, else? Yes, sir. Vinyl's coming back. Come on, vinyls have good sales lately. Compared to 
anything I've done previous for okay. the last 10, 20 years. <laughs> That's okay, George. You you keep thinking that, so. <laughs> the revolution, baby. The revolution. The revolution will not be televised. Well, you know, the funny thing about vinyl, actually, there's a, my, my wife gets the um, Rachel Ray magazine. All right, I admit Yes, yes so does mine. But, but um... I never read it. it. Just happened to be open. Um, <laughs> okay. I passed by. Uh-huh. Um, but and it they fell were doing open. something for Halloween. Halloween already. But they one of the things they they said as that you know cool little thing for the for the for the party was put down old CDs and vinyl records as coasters. <laughs> All right. These are not a, these are not AOL discs, people. This is music. This is crap. <laughs> Everybody's ripped it all and have it on their hard drive anyway. Exactly. CDs I could see, but records, come on, people. Well, it depends. If it it was my old disco duck, then yes, you can use that as a coaster. (laughs) That might be worth some money, actually. I hope not. I remember disco duck. I was on the skates going around and around. I was there. I remember disco duck as well, too, so... (laughs) All right. (laughs) Now that we've delved into disco... Lord help us. Yes. Anybody got anything else, guys? Anything from uh, CD or anything else? I haven't seen anything really yet. Okay. I'm just jealous that everybody got to go, and they're tweeting about their fabulous parties, and, you know, I enjoy me a good trade show, but having never worked in the resi market, I couldn't justify going out there, so well, and, and I'm I, jealous, all of you that are there. I am I am as well, because I'm in, I'm in St. Louis, and it's just literally up the road. I mean, it, four or five hours I could be there, but... Not this year. Next year, next year we'll do. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Thank you both very much. Thanks, guys, for listening. Dawn Mead is AV Dawn. She's a blogger and AV consultant. Dawn, do you have anything to plug or, or anything uh, people where people can find you? Um, you can find me at avdawn.com. You can find me on Rave Publications. I write on their blog squad. I also write for their Rave newsletters now. Mm, very good. And I'm, I'm on the Infocom membership committee, so... You know, take Infocom classes. Support your association; they support you. And AV Week is coming up, so that's uh, in October. So absolutely. George Tucker is here. George is the. Um, what is your title again at World Stage? <laughs> I am uh, officially I'm the engineering coordinator. There we go for World Stage. Um, and I am at Tucker Tuesday, which is a blog, and I also uh, dabble at the rave clubs. As well as other stuff, I do want to make a pitch here that if anyone uh, listens this w- this long through the podcast, that we want your ideas, <laughs> and if you have a topic or a subject or want to be on with us, give us a shout. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you can reach reach us through through the uh, through the website avnationtv. Uh, I'm sorry, avnation.tv. There's an email uh, link there. You can shoot it on on our way. Uh, my name is Tim Albert. I'm your host. Thanks for listening. Uh, check out the website. There's some specials coming down the line, and, and there are, are links to all of these, uh, for, to Don's and George's and, and, and Rave and everybody else's blog. So it's always all the time we have for AV Week.